want to take the time to talk to Dr. Martha Fulford, Associate Professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at McMaster University, who's been kind enough to join the show throughout this pandemic and joins the program right now about not only the Delta variant, but about the intervals when it comes to uh, getting the second doses. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Thank you for asking me. So the Delta variant, we're hearing a lot of, you know, reports that it is far more contagious, that it's been found in uh, every uh, jurisdiction now, that it could become, according to Dr. Barbara Yaffe, the dominant strain. This was formerly known as the the strain uh, that first came from India, so the Indian variant. Yeah. Um, so my question to you is, if it's more contagious, Mike. How effective are each type of uh, coronavirus vaccines that we're using when it comes to the Delta variant? Do we know? Because I think a lot of us are walking around with one dose and possibly a false sense of security. And we're opening up again. So I think it's important to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of... um... I think people are very hyper aware, let's put it that way, of coronavirus right now and every, every sort of small variant or news story that comes out. And so it is the strain that first appeared in India. It's now uh, we're calling it the Delta variant. Uh, and clearly when it hit India, it was pretty devastating as, as any sort of major wave is. And maybe more interesting to see what happened with this variant in the United Kingdom. And the reason I say that is because it's a similar healthcare system, similar rate of vaccine, uh, oh, they're a little bit ahead of us in vaccination. And what we're seeing is that it does appear to be more transmissible, but what we're not seeing is that it causes more severe disease. And in fact, if you look at the numbers in the United Kingdom, the Delta variant was actually less deadly than the B117, which was our previous variant. Now, we don't know exactly is that because uh, presumably there's at least a significant uh, uh, impact because people are actually vaccinated. Maybe it was because of younger people getting it and all the variants are exactly the same in that they do not, in fact, cause more severe disease in younger people. Uh, we may have a slightly larger denominator, depending on how many people get it. But this sort of fear that somehow, you know, it's more deadly for younger people has not been borne out uh, by the facts. So what we're seeing right now is that, yes, the vaccines are effective, uh, that, yes, they are, they are being transmitted. And we are going to see different waves of, of variants taking over which is what we see with viruses. Uh, The difference is that we are very, uh, I I want to say obsessively, checking every single variant for for good epidemiologic reasons. But I don't think that every time we find a variant, this necessarily means we all have to sort of panic and and go hiding again. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's again, balancing, you know, appropriate caution and the fact that we we need to be vigilant without causing severe panic. And again... We look at Ontario, I mean, we have to look at Quebec, British Columbia, Alberta. I mean, British Columbia, it's also the same as in Ontario, and we're not seeing things suddenly going out of control. They, of course, have very, very different um, measures that are put in place in B.C. But what's the efficacy? Do we know with the Delta variant, with the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the AstraZeneca? Because I know that there is a, a call to get more doses into arms as soon as possible, but, and I'll ask you this next, that 12-week interval is still there for AstraZeneca, although I think they've moved it up for Pfizer, for Moderna. Um, so we'll touch on that. And my question about that, if you could get to it after the efficacy of all three doses, hmm. is why is that AZ 
uh, still at 12 weeks as far as interval between first and second doses? So the all of the vaccines have produced very good response after the first dose. It does seem that uh, the response is better to, uh, if we're calling it alpha variant, but let's call it COVID classic, shall we? The original COVID. Um, and by and large, I think all of us, and by that I mean healthcare professionals, would like to see the people who are at high risk for severe disease, and that is our seniors, and people with known comorbidities, morbid obesity, diabetes, hypertension, so-called metabolic disease. My preference and, and that of my colleagues is that this is the group that should all be fully vaccinated because this is the group of, of our population that if they get COVID, are more likely to have a severe outcome and, and end up be requiring hospitalization. And so, again, it's sort of what are we exactly trying to achieve? And I think most of us would agree that what we're trying to achieve is minimal severe disease and not overwhelming the hospital system. And it looks like those those people that you're talking about, the vulnerable people, they're the ones that got the mRNA vaccines because Correct. AstraZeneca wasn't offered to them. Yeah. Um, but for people that got the AstraZeneca yeah. vaccine, I know that you can accelerate. Like I heard about somebody who got the Pfizer or the yeah. Moderna. It was one of the two, yeah. the mRNAs. Um, was at a grocery store or at a, a pharmacy and it was the end of the day and they were running one of those uh, clinics and they said, look, is there anybody here that's had a first shot of such and such? Because we're ready, like this is going to expire and we don't want to throw it away. Yeah. So if you want your second dose, we'll give it now. But apparently, I don't know that that would extend to an AstraZeneca uh, person that got AstraZeneca because there's still this 12-week interval. Why is that? I'm not actually sure why the 12 weeks of recommendations is anywhere from uh, four to, to the 12. What I will say, though, is that mixing and matching vaccines is not a problem. Yeah. And we have actually approved it now. Uh, it's a well-known strategy uh, for um, um, vaccine. It's sort of uh, uh, sometimes called he he well, the medical term is heterologous prime and boost. But the studies coming out of Spain in the United Kingdom, where they've been doing this with AstraZeneca first and mRNA, mRNA second, uh, have shown that people get a really robust response with, with mm. this mixing and matching. And some of it is, is supply, unfortunately. I mean, we, we, um, there's a worldwide demand. Uh, every country in the world needs to vaccinate its most vulnerable. And so if somebody's had the AstraZeneca and they have the opportunity to then get their booster with another one, that's not a bad strategy. And it's so you do, you say you don't have to wait. Like if, if you're in a drugstore and somebody says, hey, anybody here had the AstraZeneca or anybody here already had their first shot, if you can get your second, do it. As, lo as long as it's greater than four weeks. As long as it's greater than four weeks. That's yeah. all but I needed to know. Do, yeah, we don't. It, the, the problem with, with uh, intervals is you... We, we you shouldn't shorten it. Right. You need to have had the first dose in your body, so to speak, long enough to have mounted that first immune response. Which is it. four weeks. That's the probably the minimum. Okay. Uh, what what's the where the, where's the optimal? Well, it's interesting. Some of the studies have shown that that we get really good immune. You know, the antibodies are eight, eight weeks is fine. So so I'm less worried about the timing of the second one. I think four is fine. Six, eight, twelve. We're not damaging people by that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think all of us in Ontario are aware that, you know, things are changing. We're in a really good spot right now. The summer will be good because it's summer uh, and, and there's a seasonality to these things. That's exactly what we saw last year, of course, uh, which was 
And if you think of last summer, it was before we were doing any masking and we certainly had no vaccines or anything. So we have a bit of a breathing space. And so getting as many people to have, uh, you know, to be fully vaccinated, particularly our vulnerable adults, would be a very, very good idea simply because that is what's going to protect us in the fall. And so whether it's the same those people are comfortable with the same vaccine, that's fine. Uh, if you've got the AstraZeneca and get an mRNA, that's also mm-hmm. fine. And probably between Moderna and Pfizer, it's going to turn out that that we can mix and match those as well. Yeah. So so none of that is, I think, the, 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 I suppose if there's a message here that we're trying to give mm-hmm. is particularly for vulnerable adults, please go ahead and get fully vaccinated. Right. Good, good, good advice. That's for sure. I mean, I just, it's so confusing. There are so many different, you know, stories out there that I think people get fatigued reading about it and they just want people to cut to the chase. And that's what we try and do on the show here. Now, Moderna is working on a booster for seasonal flu that operates with 90 to 95% efficacy, they say. And in the long run, they're hoping to produce a shot where single doses can, uh, uh, also be combined with not only your vaccine for the the COVID-19, but the seasonal flu. Do, do you see it going that way? Uh, so messenger RNA vaccines were, were not new with COVID. Uh, so we knew about this technology before, but of course, COVID kind of in, basically it, it stimulated really the rapid and, and uh, large scale production. It's a technology that does allow us to, to create very targeted and specialized vaccines. So it, a few of us have been saying this is really interesting because it may actually allow us to then target uh, exactly that target uh, much more specific vaccines against influenza. So I'm not at all surprised that this is being worked on. Influenza vaccines mutate a lot more quickly than than um, the, the COVID, believe it or not, or the coronaviruses, believe it or not, even though we're talking about all the variants. Mm-hmm. And that's been always one of the struggles about trying to get a really good, long-lasting vaccine uh, against influenza. But I think this technology is a game changer in terms of vaccination and targeting it and combining vaccines is a, is a well-known, well-established strategy. We do that with children all the time. We do that with hepatitis A and B. So, so having two, you know, mixing or, or targeting two different viruses in a single vaccine is nothing new. So it's an eminently reasonable thing to do. Of course, we don't know yet. It's too early whether we'll actually need boosters for, for the coronaviruses, for, for co- uh, the SARS-CoV-2. Uh, I think people are planning for a case at this point. It's really uh, too early to say whether or not uh, people will need the boosters, whether it will, have, will require it in terms of, of the immune, the, whether the immune response we get either from natural infection or the response we get from vaccination, whether it actually wanes with time or whether it's actually very sustained. We're going to have to go through at least another season um, in terms of, of what we expect. And, you know, a great number of us believe that that COVID will become one of the seasonal coronaviruses. Right. It will become endemic. But but the what we will not see anymore are the huge surges of critically ill. It, it'll be more like a, a normal respiratory season. I don't have tons of time left with you, Dr. Fulford, but I wanted to ask you about a headline that caught my eye. It's about research that has been conducted that suggests that, well, maybe we won't be getting rid of the masks as quickly as we thought because they've done some research in I think it's in Maryland, and they discovered that talking spreads COVID far more than coughing or sneezing. Did you have a chance to look at it? And what's your take on this? I did look at these studies. They're, I'm sort of laughing because they're highly, highly theoretical based on models and 
and sort of theoretical estimates and they're sort of really it's modeling of evaporation, it's looking at settings. It, it's I, I think we're far enough into this that I would prefer to just use real life data, quite frankly. Okay. And real life data, which is what we're seeing on the ground in hospitals, in schools, in every country in the world. I think that should be more important at this stage in, in deciding what kind of precautions and what kind of safety measures are necessary. And this comes back a little bit to this, you know, the concern about is it aerosol, is it droplet? I mean, nothing is that straightforward. There are some occasions where it has been aerosolized, but the vast majority of data that we have on the ground in every country in that, that is dealing with this, which is pretty much every country in the world, is that the droplet precautions that we have been taking are more than adequate. And also going forward with, with, you know, masks, no masks, physical distancing, no physical. Once people are vaccinated, it's a very real question is why do we have to do anything? And we're already seeing in other countries, mm-hmm. Israel, the United States, and coming into the United Kingdom, that these are countries that believe the vaccines work. And once people are vaccinated for, for COVID, you probably don't need a mask at all. Now, some people may be more comfortable wearing them, and, and that's uh, going to be a personal decision. But the reality is that the vaccines are highly effective. Uh, and maybe we, we also need to think about exactly what message we're trying to give. And, and my message is the vaccines work. Yeah. End point of the vaccines are that we, in fact, should not require any of these measures on a routine basis. Wow. Things I would, well, Those I, are fighting I words with some people making the laws. I know, but going forward, uh-huh. I think there has to be a clear explanation and rationale as to why we are doing these things. And if people are no longer at any threat for severe disease, and if our hospital system is not overwhelmed, which it isn't anymore, mm-hmm. and it's very, it's very unlikely that it will be with the vaccines, well, then that is what we set out to accomplish, was to flatten the curve and ensure that our, our healthcare system didn't collapse. Well, we've accomplished that with the vaccines. So, so the question I have going forward is, if we have done this successfully, as has been demonstrated in other jurisdictions, we do need to think about what, what message we're giving to our society. Right. Things and, that we should not stop doing, of course, is if you're sick, stay home. Yeah, wash your hands. Yeah. But and maybe, not, maybe don't hug. At work, at least. That's just my thing. Well, you know what? I've, I've never been a fan of indiscriminate, you know. No, me neither. Contact me neither. With. So, so, you know, but that's, again, I think. <laughs> but, but I think one of the messages that we have to start giving is actually one of optimism. Sure. That we are seeing worldwide. The vaccines are working. All and, right. And it's not hard to look at the U.S. and realize that it's wide open and, and the vaccines are working. And as long as we're fully vaccinated, and that's where you're saying, you know, then we can dump some of these uh, precautions. Yeah. You have to be fully vaccinated. And, so that really and, needs to be said and stated clearly, I think. Yeah. And, and what I'm talking about is our adults. Right. Fully it's vaccinated adults. adults. Correct. Okay. Well, Dr. Fulford, I'd love to continue to chat, but I, I've got to get to the next segment and i got to take a quick break. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. Have a great day.